We're taking a look over the summer at the bad habits of Jesus. Not that Jesus sinned. He was without sin. He did, always did things that pleased the Father. But that sometimes he did things that didn't please the people around him that were seen as bad habits. And today we're looking at how Jesus procrastinated. Several times in Jesus' ministry, he intentionally took time or put something off and uh, maybe even could be considered late by those around him. Do you know those people that are chronically late? You know those people in your life? They're the people that complain that we have a 10 o'clock service but are late on Christmas Eve. They're just late. That's just who they are. It's not an early morning thing. It's a people thing. My dad would not let us be like that. My dad was a Boy Scout and then he was in the Army. And I don't know which, where he got the phrase. Probably both places. But I was taught, maybe you were taught too, if you are early, you're on time. And if you're on time... You're late. That's what we always said. If you're early, you're on time. And if you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're, you're just not nice, right? That was the state. That was what we always were taught. But Jesus had this nasty habit that people didn't always like about him, that he wasn't always on time the way they wanted him to be. Even the life of Jesus seemed to begin late, at least according to many in Israel in his day. Galatians chapter 4 says... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus says in the fullness, uh, Paul says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. But you know what? Israel didn't feel that way. Israel felt like the Messiah was coming and coming, but He was late. We've been... We've been under the rule of the Romans for a while. Before that, the Babylonians. Before that, I mean, where is this coming Messiah? And there was this expectation. In fact, we still sing a song at Christmas. Come thou long expected Jesus. Remember that song? We're trying to identify with Israel in that moment because they've been really long in expecting the Messiah to come. But where is the Messiah? It seems like even Jesus starts out late. Then... When he's 12, in Luke chapter 2, we find him a little late getting home one day. So Luke chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be with the group... They went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of God and man. Okay, first of all, listen, Jesus and uh, Joseph and Mary are not bad parents here. Okay, consider it a bad parent move when you leave your kid somewhere. 
Uh, but in those days, Jesus is 12. They don't have the same kind of long adolescence that we have. In fact, if Jesus was a girl, he's probably about ready to get married at this age. Okay? Jesus is 12. In those days, 12 seemed a lot older than what we have today. And when they would travel, they would travel with the whole family. Okay? There was a whole caravan. In fact, probably the whole town, because they're all kind of related, would get up and go to Jerusalem together. So they just assumed Jesus is with the group. That's what he's supposed to do. He's traveled like this before, but he's not. So they look around, they try to find Jesus, and they go back to Jerusalem. And three days later, they find him. Three days later, they're already a day away. They've got to travel a day back, and they've got to look all over Jerusalem. Finally, in the temple, they found him. They find him, and they're upset. Of course they're upset. What parent wouldn't be upset? Son, why have you treated us so? We've been searching for you. What does he say? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus procrastinated coming home because he had work to do at the father's house. Jesus, a few chapters later in Luke 8, procrastinated in going to heal the daughter of a man named Jairus. Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. And they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay, Jesus is no longer 24, or or Jesus is no longer 12, but this little girl is 12. Jesus has now begun his ministry. And Jairus, who's a high-ranking officer in the temple, comes to Jesus and begs him, come on, you got to come see my daughter. you got to come heal her. She's dying. But Jesus doesn't go right away. In fact, this story is what we call in Bible study a sandwich, okay, where there's a story like two pieces of bread, and in the middle of it, there's inserted another story. So, Jesus is hanging out. There's a large crowd around him. He's ministering there, trying to kind of get through and go to Jairus' house. And there's a woman, a woman who has been bleeding, it says, for 12 years. Notice this number 12 keeps popping up. For 12 years, she has been uh, bleeding of some kind. She spent all her money on doctors, and yet she can't can't, uh, be healed. She cannot fix whatever this problem is. And being that she has bled for that long, she's unclean. She's not allowed to go to the temple. She is not allowed to ever make sacrifices to God. She should probably not be out in public, and she should definitely not be touching Jesus. But if you're familiar with the story, she sneaks through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. Touches right around his, the tassels that were maybe hanging off of it. She touches, and she's healed. And she tries to make her way out of the crowd, and it's busy, and it's crowded. But Jesus feels her touch him. He says, who touched me? And the disciples look around like, Everybody's touching you. We're all in a crowd here. But, but Jesus says, no, no, no. The, the power, this power left me and he finds who this woman was. And even though she is unclean, even though she's touched Jesus, even though um, she's scared and trying to get away, Jesus tells her to go in peace. So the, all this is happening. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter is dying. Jesus is doing all this other stuff. And finally... Some people in verse 9 come to see Jairus. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Imagine the sadness. Okay, your, your daughter's dying. You go to get help. 
she dies while you're getting help. Not only does she die while you're getting help, you're standing at the outside of the crowd. Maybe you're waiting for Jesus. Come on, let's go. She's dying. How helpless, how hurt do you feel in this moment? Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned to her. She got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. See, Jesus, they think he's late, but he's not late, he's... He's going to do the miracle anyway. They think he procrastinated. What can be done now? She's dead. But Jesus says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. That's a pretty tall order to believe. She's dead. She's dead. She's already dead. Jesus is too late. But Jesus heals her. Amongst their laughter, amongst their comment that she's already, he's already sleep, she's only sleeping, Amongst their doubts that he can do anything, he heals her. Jesus procrastinates again in John 11, but this time it is not a crowd or an interruption. He's just slow to go. Lazarus from Bethany is sick. Jesus seems to be very close in his relationship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We think maybe Mary is uh, Lazarus' wife and Martha is his sister. Um, and maybe Martha's husband has died, and so Martha stays with them. Anyway, um, they, they have a house in Bethany that Jesus seems to come to. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Pause. Did you catch how ridiculous that sounded? Okay. He loves them a lot. He loves them a lot. So when he hears that Lazarus was ill, what does he do? He rushes there to help them, right? No. He stays two days longer where he's at. We don't even know what he's doing. He just hangs out there. He stays. He doesn't come running to what they think is an emergency. Jesus intentionally stays put. And by the way, if you read the whole passage, the disciples are happy about it. Because Bethany is in an area where they've been trying to stone Jesus. They've been trying to stone Jesus. And so Jesus, the disciples think, if we go there, they're going to kill us. And so they're fine. Like, let's just not go there. But Jesus goes, and he takes them with him. Jesus knows... uh, they, they ask him, they say, you know, why do you want to go to Judea? Why do you want to go there? And Jesus says, Lazarus has died. Jesus even says Lazarus has died. It's not even that Jesus doesn't know that the situation is serious. He tells the disciples when he has died. So now they leave. And they come running to tell Jesus that Lazarus has died. Of course, he already knows. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Notice, do you believe this? Do you believe he's going to be resurrected? That's what Jesus is really asking. But, but Martha can't bring herself to admit that. No, he's dead. We've already buried him. We've already buried the guy. It's over. I believe that you are the Christ. He can't, she can't quite grasp that Jesus is actually going to bring him back. Now, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus is again, is is he rushing in? No, he's still waiting outside of town where he met Martha. Mary goes to get him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb and weep. Now when Mary came to her, Jesus was where Jesus was, and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It says brother here. Maybe it's Martha. I don't know. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved and in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Here's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Mary and Martha Both have the faith to believe that Jesus could have done something. But they're also kind of mad. Like if you could have done it. And if the the crowd is like this too. If you can heal a blind man. If you can do all the healings that you've been doing. Surely you could have showed up in time to heal your friend. Surely you could have showed up in time to heal this one before he died. But Jesus is not really light. Not the way they think. He has them roll away the stone and he calls to Lazarus out of the tomb and he comes out like a mummy with his burial wrapping still on him. Why does Jesus wait two days? I mean, think about that. Why does Jesus wait two days? Why doesn't Jesus stop all the pain and the suffering that Mary and Martha go through before? He could do it. He doesn't even have to come. He does multiple healings at a distance in his ministry. Why doesn't he come? Why does he seem so late? Even at the end of his earthly life, at his ascension, as he's going into heaven, people who are following him think that he is procrastinating. They say to him in Acts 1.6, So when he had come together, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Even at the very end of His life, they say, alright Jesus, it's kingdom time, right? 
It's restore Israel time, right? It's rule the world for eternity time, right? And Jesus says, no. No, I'm going. You wait for the Holy Spirit and you wait here. And still, we as a church are waiting for his return and waiting for his kingdom to be inaugurated 2,000 years later. Why? Why does Jesus seem late? Why does Jesus seem like he's waiting? Why, as Christians, do we always seem to be waiting for Jesus? How often do we wish we had God just swoop in with all his power and fix our problems? How often do we feel like God is late? Lord, if you'd been here, so-and-so hadn't died. If you'd been here, Lord, then this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if this person wouldn't have had so much pain if you had been here. Where are you, Lord? The Psalms are actually filled with those kinds of prayer. In fact, this is probably one of the two things I think are the hardest parts of the Christian faith. Number one, I think, is the idea of faith. Faith without sight. Okay, faith without sight. How do I believe in a God I can't see? And for a long, maybe I'll see him move sometimes, but I'll go long periods where I don't see him. I don't hear his voice. And related to that is the idea of God's timing. That we always seem to have to wait on God. Maybe the third thing that's really hard about the Christian faith is the idea of suffering. The pain that we go through, the grief that we go through. But I think often suffering comes from the other two problems. That when we suffer, we can't see God and we're living like we're blind. And that often we can suffer for a little while. But in long-term suffering, we get this same angst of waiting on God. Why are we waiting in the midst of this long suffering? But the Bible promises that we will have to wait on the Lord but that we will renew our strength. Remember that famous verse from Isaiah 40? Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But the Bible doesn't say right away. You ever, you ever experienced this? You ever gone through a season where you've got to wait on God? You ever gone through an experience where you've got to wait for God to come, for God to show up, for God to speak? And it's a struggle. And it's a burden. And you renew your strength, but it doesn't happen right away. In fact, sometimes it's a long time before it comes back. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Tough words from Jesus. My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And maybe we could add, my watch is not your watch, and my calendar is not your calendar. See, I think Jesus is always on time. He's just not always on our time. Jesus is never late. He just doesn't live by our calendar. He's always about his father's business. He's always doing more than we can possibly see. The Jesus you need to see is not the Jesus who's late. It's the Jesus who weeps. The Jesus who cares. 
the Jesus who loves, he just loves on a different schedule than we have sometimes. And man, is that tough. And man, is that, can I just say it? It's frustrating sometimes that God doesn't work on our schedule and in our plans and in our sequence of events that we would prefer to have. But guess what? In the Bible, he doesn't either. God has his own time and his own sense of what's right and his own sense of what's going on in the world beyond us. And it's hard to trust God with that. But if you're really going to trust God, you've got to trust God with the timing. If you're really going to trust God, you've got to trust God when sometimes he says to wait. And I don't like it. I don't like this. This is one of my, the most frustrating parts of God for me is that he doesn't do stuff when I want him to. He doesn't do stuff how I want him to. But that is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. I heard a great story. Oh. Been interested. There was a movie just came out recently called The Silence. Called Silence. I don't know if anybody saw it. Martin Scorsese. It's about um, it's about Christians in Japan. What happens? The, the Jesuits bring and the several other other traditions bring Christianity in Japan, and it is just demolished with horrible, horrible torture for generations. For generations. In fact, the the uh, the Japanese had never heard of crucifixion before. Until the Christians came, and that was their preferred treatment of Christians, was crucifixion. Um, and uh, there's stories of the, the very first group of Christians that were, were martyred in Japan. And uh, I think there was like 26 of them, something like that. And they were forced to march hundreds of miles across Japan as a statement for uh, this is what happens when you start to follow Christ. So they marched through all these different towns. And they were in terrible pain. In fact, um, one of the things that they did was cut off a number of their ears and noses. They had to march hundreds of miles. Terrible, terrible. Uh, including, including two young boys, about 12 years old. Two young boys, about 12 years old. that have to march all this way, um, disfigured in some way and in pain. And uh, when they finally get to the hill where they're gonna, they've got crosses set up, where a whole bunch of people will be able to see, and uh, the, the, they're walking up towards the hill after this long walk, one of the boys, one of these little boys says, where's my cross? Show me my cross. And the other boy gets excited too. Excited, these little boys. Show me my cross. Where's my cross? Which one's mine? They understood, these boys that had just heard about the Christian faith, First Christian martyrs in Japan. They understood that what it means to follow Christ is to take up your cross. And they thought, oh, well, I'm going to be like Christ. And I'm going to be on one of those crosses. Do you know that that is not often our belief about what the Christian faith is all about? We want a Christian faith that is easy. That is simple. Where we get what we want when we want it. That is not the faith of the Bible. It is not the faith that those martyrs in Japan felt. It is not the faith that Christians around the world that face persecution felt. In fact, Christianity doesn't make any sense unless you're sacrificing and you're giving up what you want for Jesus Christ. It's not a comfortable faith. It never has been. And a a comfortable Christianity isn't going to make sense in the future. I'm going to tell you that right now. Are you willing to take up your cross? Where's my cross? And sometimes our cross really is. Sometimes our cross really is 
the pain that we go through, and the waiting that we do for Jesus. And we feel like it's a burden and we feel like it's a trouble, but actually, we're following Christ more as we're suffering because we're being more like Christ in those moments. If you're really going to trust Jesus, you have to trust Jesus with the timing. And sometimes that's the hardest part. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to us that we may take up our crosses, that we may be willing to wait, that we may be willing to suffer. Give us a vision that we would trust you in the middle. Bring healing and may your kingdom come. Amen.